Please take your seats. Church, I will keep you updated. We will keep you updated how it's going, but that was the news that we heard fresh over the last 48 hours. It's hard to go on from there, but we we must. I'm going to be preaching this morning from uh, John's Gospel, so please, if you have your Bibles, turn to John and chapter 3. While you're, while you're finding your way there, I, I had the privilege of being at New Day as well. It's good to have Nigel here with us. Hey, John's here as well. Hey, John. John's back. Um, and, and myself and Paul went up for a couple of days and it just thrilled my heart to see some six plus thousand young people with their hands in the air going bonkers for Jesus. Going absolutely crazy for him. And to hear that 300 saved, 300 healed... Church, we've got to get behind this. Our young people are the generation behind us that are going to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And it's brilliant. It was I got absolutely drenched. One night, I got so wet, I had to borrow Pete Manning's clothing. Uh, I ran back from the tent. Rather than going in the tent, I ran all the way back to the marquee. Looked like I'd just been pushed into a river. All Paul could do was stand there and laugh at me. I was like, "That's that's no good. Get me dry, get me dry. So Pete lent me his uh, T-shirt and clothes, but it was a fantastic time, so it would be good to hear from the youth next week. Okay, John chapter 3. We're going through a preaching series through this Gospel, looking at the person and works and claims of this Jesus Christ. As you can see, it's a powerful image, isn't it? On the cross, you have one guy there with his hands, worshipping the one who is crucified yet there's a one behind him just turning away. So we're investigating the claims of this Jesus Christ and saying, is he incomparable? Is he utterly without equal? Is he amazing in every single way? Or is he irrelevant? That's for you to decide. Today, the message is entitled, You Must Be Born Again. I want you to look at those words. You must be born again. Hopefully you found John chapter 3 by now. And I'm going to read from verse 1. It will come up on the screen behind me. Follow along if you have your Bibles and follow along on the screen. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. He was a member of the Jewish ruling council He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform these miracles and signs you're doing unless God were with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born again when he is old, Nicodemus asked. Surely he can't enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born, Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to spirit. You shouldn't be surprised at my saying this, Nicodemus. You must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. 
And Jesus says these brilliant words. Well, you're supposed to be Israel's teacher. And you don't even understand these things. I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know and we testify of what we have have seen. But still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you don't believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly ones, heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who has come from heaven, the Son of Man. This is Jesus. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. What he's referring to here is three days later after he was crucified, he was lifted up from the earth, lifted up from the grave. So the Son of Man must be lifted up and glorified that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in this, whoever believes in him is not condemned but whoever does not believe stands condemned because he has not believed in the one, in the name of the God's one and only Son. Let's pray together. Lord, I, pray, I simply want to say this morning, I pray that we will see you for who you are. That's it. We'll see you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. I'll pick that up as we go. Verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council, Pharisees. I want to just give us a little bit of background on this group of people. That way we'll get to know who Nicodemus is and we'll certainly get to know who the Pharisees are. Pharisees are not the religious heads as we think they are. They're not the religious leaders like our current day priests or bishops. They're not the religious heads but they're extremely religious. The Pharisees, the religious leaders were the likes of the the elders, the chief priests, uh, the, the scribes, the Pharisees kind of came alongside these guys, followed the law all the way. I'll explain a little bit more about who this group of people were. They were a national organisation and they had approximately 6,000 members according to some commentators. They were likened to our current day political parties in a way, the, the same structure as a political party would be made up of. You know, they have followers in most towns and villages. That was the Pharisees. Most towns and villages through Palestine, they would have followers and they would be the Pharisees. The Pharisees were extremely influential. Although not the the heads, they were very influential, probably the most influential. The people listened to them. They were the ones that had the ear of the people and the voice to the people. Does that make sense? They were the ones that people listened to. The Jews, the Pharisees, were like the journalists, if you like, of our day. We have journalists, they were like the journalists. And they followed Jesus everywhere like good journalists. Because what do journalists do? They follow people that are controversial, 
People that are famous becoming more famous. So they followed Jesus everywhere. Jesus was extremely controversial. He still is today, would you say? He's extremely famous. He still is today. The Pharisees followed him everywhere. Throughout his ministry, there was a healing. The Pharisees popped up. Someone was risen, lifted from the grave. The Pharisees popped up. Questioned what Jesus did on the Sabbath, this holy day. There was the Pharisees, the journalists. What are you going to do, Jesus? How are you going to respond? Like any good journalist, they wanted to get some dirt on Jesus. What do the the, uh, journalists do today? They follow our famous celebrities, just looking for some dirt, to see if they can break the law in any way. If they've broken the law, we'll watch David Beckham all the way. Let's just see if he stuffs up. Let's see if he cheats on his wife. Let's just watch him. Let's see where he goes. That was the Pharisee. Let's follow this man. Let's trap him. Let's trick him. Let's see if he breaks our laws because then we'll get him. The Pharisees took religion extremely serious. They were zealous about it. They followed what was the Old Testament Hebrew law, the law given by God to Moses. That was what they followed, but do you know what they did? They added to it. They took it so seriously that they thought, we love this law. We love it so much that we're going to have our other laws around it. So they, they made like a safety fence, if you like, a safety net around the law. As if the law wasn't hard enough, they thought, let's make it even difficult, even trickier for people. So, for example, this is what it would look like today. The law in our land states that you drive 30 mile an hour through residential... It's still 30, isn't it? It's not 60, it hasn't changed, has it? It's still 30, right? 30, Alid. Yeah. Um... That that's the law. But the Pharisees, we're Pharisees, okay, so we say to protect our people because we don't want them even getting close to breaking it, we're going to now say it's 20 miles an hour. Do you see? That's what they do. The law states this, it's here, so we're going to back it right up and say, but we stop here to stop anyone even getting close. Verse 9. Sorry, I'm skipped. Zealous for God, zealous, absolutely zealous for God, but they'd made one huge clanging error. To them, it was all about outward conformity, as it is for us still today, in our own hearts. We think we've got to do something. To them, it was all about what it looked like on the outside, where they were from, what family they grew up in, their credentials. It was all about outward Conformity, duties, traditions, formalities, salvation by works. Many of you would have heard this term. I'm doing this because I'm chasing the fly, by the way. I'm not, I'm not about to dance. Duties, salvation by works. I'm going to get that fly. I'm going to get you fly. Just need some tweezers like the karate kid. No, it wasn't tweezers, it was his fingers, wasn't it? If anyone's got tweezers, I'll take those. Salvation. But to do this, they thought, if, if I live this way, if I follow these traditions, God will love me. That's the key. Our duties and efforts, Pharisees, our duties and efforts will work our way to God. That is how we do it. And if you look at many traditions today, they still follow that spirit. 
If we do this, if we add this, if we just carry this, if we do this, if we set up this, I think that's what we need to do. The trouble is it is not the gospel. It's not the gospel. It is the furthest from the gospel. This, my dear friends, is how Jesus talks about the Pharisees. Hold on to your seats because it's lively language. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. And by the way, although a Pharisee, Nicodemus was also a teacher of the law. He was part of the Jewish ruling council as well. He was massively, in, when it comes to credentials, he was way up there. Woe to you teachers of the law, you Pharisees, and you, you are hypocrites. You shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces, and you yourselves do not enter, nor will you let anyone else enter. It goes on, there's seven of these woes. Woe to you teachers of the law, and you Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but the inside they're still full of greed and self-indulgent. You blind Pharisee. Woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs. You look beautiful on the outside, but in the inside you're full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. He calls them snakes and a brood of vipers. Imagine that. You come to see one of us, we say, woe to you, you hypocrite. You're like a dead man's bones. You look all great on the outside, but inside there's nothing. You're a hypocrite. You're like a snake. You're a viper. That's how Jesus talked about the Pharisees. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. But notice something interesting. Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night Why did he do that? Most Pharisees, it was strength in number. Like journalists, you watch them, they travel together. They're all in a a pile, aren't they? And one of them shouts out, hey, what about this? Yeah, 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 we all agree with that. Have you been doing that? Have you cheated on your wife? They'll ask questions in a crowd. That was like the Pharisees. But he comes to Jesus at night. At night. With no other of his Pharisee gang around him. Why? Was it under the cover of night? Was it because he just wanted more time with Jesus? We don't really know. But he came to Jesus on his own at night. He also stands up for Jesus. In John chapter 7, I'll paraphrase, you can turn there later, John 7, 51 to 52, the Pharisees are questioning the works of Jesus and saying, should this go on? And uh, um, Who else believes this crazy stuff, basically? And Nicodemus says, hang on, hang on, hang on. Doesn't our law state that we should at least hear them out first? So interesting. And then, ultimately, this was beautiful. Nicodemus is there when Jesus is crucified. All of Jesus' followers have scattered. Who's left? Joseph and Nicodemus. They're the ones that bring him, they're the ones that ask for his body, they're the ones that bring him down, they're the ones that anoint him and get his body ready for burial. Nicodemus is there, this Pharisee. So although a Pharisee set in his ways, there's something of Jesus that draws him in. There's something that Jesus, he wants to take him down from the cross and bury him. And I pray that there's something of Jesus right now that he's drawing you in. You might have come like a Pharisee this morning. 
How? Why? What? What are you talking about? This is crazy. But I pray like Nicodemus, something now is starting to tweak inside you. If you understand what tweak means. And you're being drawn to him. I pray that you get drawn to him to see him for who he is today. John 3, verse 2, following, that was about the Pharisees, John 3, 2. So he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher of the law, we know you're a teacher who's come from God, sorry. Do you know why we know this? Because no one could perform these miracles that you're doing if God were not with him. So there's Nicodemus the Pharisee, he's come to Jesus at night and he's saying, you're from God in some way, but how? Who are you? Who on earth are you? We think you're a teacher. Because no one could do these kind of things unless God were with him in some way. As Nicodemus talks and debates with Jesus, we see something remarkable. This is what my whole message hinges on. This is what the whole of eternity hinges on. What Jesus does is while he's being questioned and debated to and dialogued with, Jesus simply throws out the boldest statement one could hear. And it's for Nicodemus' greatest need, which is also our greatest need. Verse 3, in reply, Jesus declares, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. For many of you, that might cause offence. That's wonderful. That's exactly what it's supposed to do. No one can even see Jesus for who he is unless he's born again. Unless he's born again. Verse 5 and 7, Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom, so you can't see it, you can't enter, unless you're born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised, Nicodemus, at me saying you must be born again. So Jesus is saying to see it, Nicodemus, to see it, friends, to see it, to enter into it, to grasp it, to understand it for what it really is, you must be born again. These words completely bamboozle Nicodemus. Almost pull the rug from under his feet, as it does many today. That's what it's supposed to do. We're not supposed to go there on our own effort. We're supposed to go there on God's effort because we've been born again. What are you talking about? What on earth are you babbling on about? Have you lost the plot? How on earth can you enter a womb a second time to be born? It's not that sort of birth, Jesus says. I'm paraphrasing. I'm not talking about seeing and entering a womb. That's physical. That's what the physical gives birth to. What I'm talking about is seeing and entering a kingdom, a whole new realm, a whole new destiny, the kingdom of God. That only the spirit can give birth to. It's a spiritual thing. Verse 9, how can this be? Nicodemus asks. Jesus says, you're Israel's teacher. 
clever one. You're the teacher and you don't know. If you're not getting me on an earthly level, how on earth are you going to understand me at a spiritual one? Nicodemus was the teacher of the law, like I said. He would have understood the scriptures better than anyone in this building. He would have understood the prophets. He would have known what the prophets spoke of, yet he was blind to it. Suddenly, before the Messiah, the ones the scriptures pointed to, the ones the prophets declared of, he's before him and he says, how can this be? He's blind. 2 Corinthians 4.4 says this, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. This is our current day context, all right? The God of this age has blinded them, not our God, God with a small g, the enemy. He's blinded our minds. We've been blinded. Our hearts are dead, they're blind, they're blindfolded, our minds are blinded. The God of this age has blinded mankind so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Paul is writing this, who was an ex-Pharisee. He says the minds of mankind has been blinded because they can't see him. He can't see Jesus for who he is. This is a wonderful quote I found by a guy called Bruce Milne, who's a Bible commentator. He says, as a devout Orthodox Jew... He presumed, that's Nicodemus, that his place in the coming kingdom was assured. It was assured by virtue of his race and circumcision, where he was from and his following of the law. Besides that, he was a leading religious professional and moreover, he was a Pharisee and a member of the Jewish ruling council. There could be fewer Jews, if any, in the entire city that night whose credentials were more impressive than Nicodemus, as far as acceptance with God was concerned. Yet Jesus tells him he must be born again. There's some of you here today with wonderful credentials, far greater than mine. I tell you this morning, you must be born again. The need for Nicodemus was to see Jesus for who he is. Emmanuel, God with us. Do you remember a few weeks ago, Paul kicked this series off by talking about the God-man, the one that wrapped himself in flesh, the one that created everything, clothed himself in flesh and came to be with us. That's who Nicodemus needed to see. Emmanuel, God with us, the Messiah, the ones the scriptures spoke of, the ones the prophets made the way ready for, the saviour of the entire world. Nicodemus didn't need more religion. He had plenty of that. His efforts, his stature, his credentials wouldn't get him to God. Jesus is simply not interested in all his paraphernalia. It wasn't an outward conformity to the Old Testament law but it was all about an inward transformation that can only come by God through the Spirit that gives us new life. It's not conformity. You'll never do it. It's new life because he's done it for us. Only the Spirit can open blind eyes. Only the Spirit can change our dead hearts. 
Only the Spirit can give us new life. Now this is the same for us today. We absolutely don't need any more religion. Who wants religion? Show of hands. That's interesting. No one. Yet our hearts tell us we do. Your heart tells you, I must do something for this. We don't need to come from the right family or race. We don't need to earn our way by good efforts and good behaviour. It's good to be good, but you don't earn your way into God's favour by being good. Jesus isn't interested in our religious activity. We must be born again. Forgive me for ramming the point, but I'm going to probably say we must be born again probably about 6,000 times. And Samuel will say it 7,000. I take it that water wasn't left up here from last night. Just realised, sipping it, thinking, oh, it's a bit warm. Where was I? You must be born again, thank you. Yeah. Do you think that's important? Yeah, yeah. We must be born again. I want to wrestle with you this morning, not physically. I want to look you all in the eye and just say, I know many of you would say, yeah, I know, I'm I'm born again. I heard someone once say that when people say, why do you keep preaching the gospel? It's because you don't get the gospel. Yeah? We're going to keep preaching the gospel. We're going to keep telling people about Jesus. We need to know, the gospel's for Christians. (laughs) The gospel's for us. You must be born again. Are you born again, Christian? It's a challenging statement. Are you born again? What does it mean? What am I talking about? Simply put, made new. Made new. There's so much I could say, but we're sticking to this text. Made new. Just means you've been made new. Not physically. I haven't been given a physical external shell which I'm gutted about because mine isn't that great yet. But I know I've got a new heart. You've got a new heart? The moment Jesus broke in, did he give you a new heart? Completely new design, new motives, passions, made new. You've got a new heart. The Bible says that he's taken your old heart of stone and given you a heart of flesh. What does born again mean? You've been made new. I want to read you something from the Old Testament. Listen to what it says in Ezekiel. And You know, Jesus says here, unless you're born of water and the Spirit, unless you're born of water and the Spirit, I looked into this. Listen to this in Ezekiel. I will sprinkle clean water on you. This is God speaking to those that he's calling back. I'll sprinkle clean water water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. You're made new. That's what happens. You receive the spirit, you're made new. New heart. You've been sprinkled with clean water, pure water. We'll read you something in Titus as well. 
find it. He, that is Jesus, he saved us, not because of righteous things we'd done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing, listen to that, through the washing of rebirth. Rebirth. And the renewal, renewal by the Holy Spirit. What does being born again mean? It means being made new. Hallelujah. That's what I needed. I needed to be made new. I couldn't do it on my own. And you can't do it on your own. You need to be made new. Galatians. This is Paul, the ex-Pharisee again. He's talking here and he says, neither circumcision, uh, what they followed, what those poor chaps followed, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is new creation. This is Paul, an ex-Pharisee, an ex-bigwig. He says it doesn't count. It doesn't count. What counts is new heart. Born again, new creation. That's what counts. So the most fundamental thing that can happen is new birth. That's what we all need. Now I want to give you the solution. Because some of you might be sitting here thinking, I hear that, thank you very much, we know that, heard it time and time again, but how do I get it? I'm not sure I've got it. How do I get it? I think in these verses Jesus gives us the solution, the remedy, the antidote, I don't know what to call it. He gives us the answer. We're not told how Nicodemus responds, so I'm not sure how it quite pans out for this chap. But what I can be sure on is how it finishes for me. And what I want to challenge you on is how you need to respond. What's the solution? Jesus describes it. John 3.16, my favourite two verses in the entire Bible, for God so loves the world, if you know it, sing it along with me. For God so loves the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, to kick the world, to push the world down, but to save the world through him. That's why he did it. Here we have the clearest summary of the gospel in the entire Bible. For God so loved us, God loves us, that he sent his son. It's the gospel that whoever believes in him will not be separated from him, but will be with him for eternity. There's the gospel. But he didn't do it to condemn us, Steve. He didn't do it to come and jump on your brother. He did it to save you. That's the gospel. It's the gospel. It's the good news of Jesus. That's what it means. Now the law will take us so far. The law will never change our heart. Living a good citizen, my friend, will never change your heart. I tried it and I realised I'd made a pretty junky effort of it. If anything, the law tells us that our hearts are rotten. That's what the law does. Who has kept the law? Wow, you lawbreakers. Wow. Glenn's nodding. Sorry, Glenn. None of you. None of you have kept the law. The 
The law points out the problem of the human heart, but what it can't do is solve it. We need to understand that. It'll point to us, it'll say, Skulls, you've broken the law, mate. But it won't then say, I can change that for you. It'll just keep telling you, Steve, you've broken the law, mate. Jim, you've done it again. I'm not going to pick on anyone else. You've just broken the law. You've done it. You've broken the law. The law said 31. It says 31. It says 31. I was challenged on this coming here today. Suddenly realised I was going to 85 just down the road. I'm joking. <laughs> Suddenly realised I was going over 30 thinking, I've broken the law. The law keeps saying, your heart can't do it. The law is in place to scream at us that we are sinners in need of a saviour. Galatians 3.24 says, so the law, so the law was put in charge to lead us to who? Christ. Christ. That we might be justified by faith. None of us are good enough. Salvation by works cannot do it. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of you, my dear friends, have sinned and fall way short of the glory of God. That's wonderful news, isn't it? Brilliant. Romans 6.23, and do you know what the punishment for that is? Do you know what the wages are? Death. I'll see you in the coffee area afterwards. It's hopeless. All have sinned and fall short, and the wages of our sin is death. In the Old Testament, these poor animals had to be killed and bloodshed for the forgiveness of sins. For men, animals were sacrificed. Lambs, little fluffy things, sacrificed. Blood was shed. But do you know how often it happens? Time and time and time again. Because there was no perfect sacrifice. We then come to the New Testament and Jesus is told, we're told that Jesus is our perfect sacrificial lamb the Passover lamb, the lamb that was sacrificed on our behalf. And do you know how many times Jesus needed to be sacrificed? Once. Once. He was sacrificed once. He was crushed once. He died and then he rose again. In Hebrews, don't turn there, look at it in your own time, Hebrews 9 and 10 talks about these priests the stand in the temple, day after day after day, continually doing their religious duties, sacrifice after sacrifice. But then it says, wonderfully says, but when he, this priest came, when Jesus came, it was done once and for all. Now he's with God at his right hand. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. The Bible says that he, Jesus, carried our sin. He became sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21 God made him didn't make him as, let's just make Jesus, what it's referring to is God pushed sin onto him. God made him sin. God made Jesus sin. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. All of your pain, all of your grief, all of your tragedy, all of your sickness, everything that the world has done and will do was purged onto him, was forced onto him. He had no sin and he was forced to carry it, but he did it. He did it. It's probably wrong of me saying forced to carry it, he willingly carried it. 
Only Jesus can change our hearts. That's why, my friends, he is absolutely incomparable. Without, without equal. There's none like him. I'm going to rush through these last bits, but I do want to get it done. So, that's what happened to me ten years ago now on Alpha. I saw Jesus for who he was, for who he actually is, the saviour of the world, but more importantly to me, my saviour. My saviour. For God so loved me that he came for me. I was in Pete's house. He came, I see you chuckling, he came for me. He died for me. He rose for me. And he gave me new life. That's what he does today. Now, there's the solution. Very quickly, how do we receive it? I want you to really listen in here because this is really tricky. It's going to be the most profound stuff you've ever heard in your life and it's, it's a secret. So, are you ready? I don't think everyone's... Is everyone looking forward? Is everyone ready? How do I say this? It's profound. Believe. Did you get that? Believe. I'll, I'll, I don't know if I can make it any easier. Hang on. Believe. Yeah, that's about as easy as I can make it. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. doesn't say whoever upholds the law. doesn't say whoever lives a righteous life. It doesn't say whoever follows the Old Testament law, whoever continues to sacrifice, whoever is brought up here, whoever is brought up in a Christian family. It says whoever believes... Romans 10, 9 and 10, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and it's with your mouth that you confess and are saved. And this was what I love to hear. Romans 10, 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That is you. That is me. And I've got to go there. Ephesians 2.8 For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, but it is a wonderful gift of God. New birth is the amazing gift of God all because of his great love for us. The solution is God did it. Jesus died on the cross. How we receive it is by faith. But it's it's a gift. It's a gift given by a father, by a loving father that sent his son. It's, it's, it's given. It's a wonderful gift of God. And how do we take it? We say, I believe. I see it. I want it. I believe it. That's how we receive it. And by believing in Jesus, by believing that he's a son of God who died for you, who loved you so much that he came and died for you, he was buried, he rose again and he gives you new life. By believing these things, the Bible says you're born anew. You're born again. You can have new creation. You can experience the forgiveness of sins, being washed clean. You can enter into this wonderful new kingdom. You can join a wonderful church like this. I remember when I was first looking in, I thought, what were you lot all about? And you know what? I honestly mean this. I love you lot with all my heart. 
How can you go from not really knowing it to, this is my family. This is my family. It's entering into a new kingdom. Completely new dimension. But it's all through faith and belief in Jesus. Believe. So, I'm coming into what they call a land. You okay just for a couple more minutes? No? (laughs) Okay, we've finished. Being born again doesn't make things vaguely different. It won't make you vaguely interested in church. It won't. Being born again changes everything if it's genuine. If it's genuine, it changes everything. Gives new desires, new passions, a different perspective. It brings hope. It gives meaning and purpose. It guarantees our future. It will wipe away the past. It will heal the past. It will continue to heal the past. It will make our present realistic. And like I said, it gives us eternal life. Changes everything. Those, I just want to say one quick thing. Those that have been brought up in a Christian household... And I've heard this from many. I'm not quite sure when that point was, though. And I worry about this for my own kids. My son this morning, bless him, he said, I don't want to go to church. You know, it grieves your heart. You think, oh, no, boy, you're going to have to stand and make your decision on your own at some point. You can't come in on me and mummy's coattails. But where, where does, where is it, where's the line? Where, is it blurred? Some are like, I don't know, was I five, was I ten? I, I don't quite know. I don't want you to focus on when. I want you to focus on have. Have you? Have you been born again? Don't worry about the when. Many are like, I can't quite remember, and they wrestle with it. But it's evident they are because of the fruit in their life. So I'm asking you, have you? If you have, rejoice. Rejoice, Christian. Rejoice. Because it changes everything. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, and the new has come. Changes everything. I'm going to finish with this quote and then a summary. Nicodemus saw Jesus as a teacher sent from God. This isn't the quote, these are my words. Nicodemus saw Jesus, but he thought he was a teacher sent by God. Who do you say Jesus is? You've heard of him. I see some of your faces. Some of you have been on Alpha. You've heard about him. Who do you say Jesus is? Listen to this quote by C.S. Lewis from a book called Mere Christianity. I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of a man who says, I'm a poached egg, or he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Friend, you must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up as a fool, you can spit at him, you can kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronising nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He didn't leave that open to us. He never intended to. Jesus has to be absolutely everything or nothing. There is no middle ground. 
There is no middle ground. So it's for you to decide who do you say he is. Is he, coming back to the beginning, absolutely without equal, incomparable? Is he exactly who the Bible describes him to be? Is he who I've preached he is? Or is he just a teacher that's died and not any longer relevant for society today? Jesus gives us our deepest need. I tell you the truth, you must be born again. And he gives us the solution. For God so loved the world that he sent his son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God didn't send his son into the world to condemn us but to save us through him. Amen? Amen. Can I ask you to stand? I'm going to ask the band to come back up. We're just going to sing one song to celebrate and the children will be coming in. While the band are coming up, I'd like to give us a little bit of direction, if I may. I'm going to pray, and I'm going to lead some of you on a, on a journey, on a prayer. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you are absolutely without equal. I thank you that you are the saviour of the world. I thank you that you're my saviour. I thank you that you're our saviour. I thank you that there's nothing good in us to earn our salvation. It all was a gift of God. I thank you. I had no money. I couldn't earn it. I couldn't buy it. I was messed up in every way. Yet that night you broke in and I put my faith in you and you made me new. I love you, Jesus. And I say right now, Holy Spirit, just reveal the wonderful Saviour to everyone in this room. And I ask that in Jesus' name. While the band are getting themselves ready, I want to lead you in a prayer. If you're if you've not yet put your faith in Jesus, I'm not going to ask you to come to the front or embarrass you in front of people. But if you've not yet put your faith in Jesus as Lord and Saviour, I want to give you the opportunity to do so this morning. I don't want you to leave here. If you're just feeling, I want to do that today, I want to give you the opportunity. Right where you are, don't worry about the people next to you. You can do it in your own heart. Right, right where you are, it's between you and God. It's between you and God right now. He knows you. He knows your past. He knows your present and he knows your future. But it's between you and God. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. It doesn't say come to church now for 16,000 times. It just says if you believe, you'll be saved. So I want to pray. I'm going to say a few simple statements and if you're ready to declare this, if you're ready to repeat this after me, then do so. And then afterwards, after we've sung, come and speak to me and I'll let you know where we take it on from here. So I'm going to pray. If I can, can just ask everyone to close their eyes just so we're not all doing the I'm, I'm secretly looking around stuff. Just all of us, let's just do business with God. And I'm going to say these words, friend. And if that's you here this morning, I want you to pray it. I want you to confess it with your mouth and pray it in your heart. Here we go. Jesus, I admit that I've sinned and that I've lived separately from you. Jesus, please forgive me for all my junk, all of my sin, and I ask that you will wash me clean. Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God. 
Jesus, I believe that you love me and that you came for me and that you died for my sin. Jesus, I believe that you rose from the dead in new life. Jesus, I come to you for salvation and new life. And Jesus, I put my faith in you, I put my trust in you, and I want you to be my Lord and Saviour. Amen. Amen. If you've prayed